Okay, let's begin, starting at verse 14. <clears throat> Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. At this time, we're going to show a... That's an interesting question. What's new with you? Uh, people ask that question sometimes, and we don't always know what to say. Here's something very exciting. When you become a Christian, you become a new person. And God adds you to his family because you then have a new father in heaven. And you have a new family. You have a new future. You are a new you. And the way the Bible explains it, the way it expresses it, is in this scripture. Read it out loud with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. When the Bible says he in this passage, it means he or she. It refers to all mankind. Any man or woman who will come to Christ becomes a new creation in the image and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is described by Christ himself as the new birth. You've heard of that, right? The new birth. That's what gives you spiritual life. When you were born on your birthday, your parents gave you physical life or biological life. But when you became a Christian and invited Christ to be your Savior, you became a new being, a new eternal being. You had a new birth, and that new birth brought you new life, the new life that God wants you to have. And in a moment, we'll continue reading in 1 Timothy. We'll read it again, but so hold your place there. And today, we want to get God's message to us about how a Christian lives. How does a Christian live? I really want this to be a great message. A great message always comes from the Bible. Now, as far as great preachers go, there may be one or two around. One time, a pastor after church, riding home with his wife, was feeling his oats. He said, honey... How many great preachers do you think there are? She thought about it very carefully. She said, well, honey, I think there are a lot of great preachers, but I think there's one less than you think. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not the great preacher that counts. It's the great message. There are a lot of preachers who can preach the gospel better than I can, but there's nobody who can preach a better gospel. Because we all have the same gospel. We all have the same message. We all have the message of God from the scripture. And it's that message that enables us to live the Christian life. So last week, we're continuing this series from last week. I talked to you about the banner over our church is to be God's church. Let's be God's church. And what that means and how that stands out. And we talked about, uh, just to refresh your memory quickly, because this is part two 
of that message. So let's go back and build a little bit. And we talked about being the TNT church, the New Testament church. Now, I'm not talking about that uh, explosive element that you might be very uh, well aware of called TNT. Trinitrotukine is how it's spelled, I mean how it's pronounced. It's just abbreviated TNT, power. We have the TNT power of the New Testament church. Say that with me, the New Testament church. One more time, the New Testament church. Now, who belongs to the New Testament church? The only person who can belong to a New Testament church is a New Testament Christian. The New Testament Christian. The New Testament describes how a person becomes a Christian and how a Christian lives their life for Christ. And so today, we want to continue this series. If you look with me on your life notes for a moment, under TNT Church, you'll see that quote that we've given you today from Jesus about being both the church and the Christian. It begins with the words, I will build. You see that? Let's read it out loud together, may we? This is Jesus speaking. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. So a New Testament Christian is one who walks and talks and lives like Christ lived. And that is not possible to do, by the way, in human power. It's not possible to live the Christian life, humanly speaking. It takes a power beyond yourself to even become a Christian, and then it takes a power beyond yourself to be able to live the Christian life, to walk with Christ, to walk for Christ and make your life count for Him. So we want to find out today some of the extraordinary characteristics of the New Testament church, which we've taught about, but also the New Testament Christian. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Natalie read so well a few minutes ago. Let's look at it one more time, may we? 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's talking to young Timothy. Tim needed a lot of help. He needed a lot of boldness. He needed a lot of courage and confidence. Here's what he wrote to him. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. See that word conduct? That means basically your lifestyle. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm going to give you some insight today in this letter about how to have a Christian lifestyle, especially since you belong to the church. The church. How to conduct themselves in God's household. See that word household? It literally means family. You may have been thinking, perhaps, that the most important element about a church is the building. A building is not a church. It's designed by an architecture to look like what we think a church ought to look like. But a building is not a church. A church is made up of the people. The church is a living organism. It's organized, but it's primarily 
an organism. It's a family. The church is God's family. So he says, I want to help you to understand how to live in God's household, in God's family, which is the church. That word church is called ecclesia. We've talked about it many times. A person who comes to Christ is one who in the middle of all the voices they hear in life, television, radio, internet, family, friends, bosses, employees, people all around them, entertainment, of all the voices that they hear all the time, they suddenly hear this one voice, the voice of God. And God is calling them. God is bringing to them a realization that they are without God. They need Christ. Everybody, the Bible tells us, because God is so loving and compassionate, is sent that signal by the Holy Spirit of God. Come to me. The very favorite word of Jesus Christ himself was, Come to me. Come to me. Believe on me and have eternal life. And the Holy Spirit makes that call to your life clear. But on the other hand, many people do never, uh, never answer that call. But those who do, those who answer that call, they are brought into the church, the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the family of God, those who have answered the call to come to Christ. And Christ said, I will build my church. He meant I'll build the people in it. I'll bring the people to it. I'll put them in it. I'll build them up in it and through it. And I will build my church made up of human beings. Not brick and mortar. That's important. Brick and mortar. But what's more important is flesh and blood and spirit. That we are in God's family. So the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy says, Teach the people how they ought to conduct themselves in God's household, God's family which is the church of the living God. Don't you like that? Living God, not dead, not sick, not on vacation, not asleep, not weary. He's alive, he's well. And uh, you may get sleepy and tired and worn out and whipped, but he won't. He's the living God, living eternally. What was that song we sang this morning? Everlasting God. He doesn't wear out. He lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts. Lasts and lasts and lasts. He'll never wear out. He's eternal. He's the everlasting God, the living God. And now notice what it says in the next few phrases. Very important. Now listen carefully. The church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, those words, are they describing God or are they describing the church? And therefore, are they describing the people in God's family? Well, they're literally describing the church, the people who make up the church. They are, we are, you and I are, as Christians, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now, you say, that's a lot to take on, Pastor. I know that. God is ultimately the pillar and the foundation in Christ but you and I also are the pillars. Now, this has a very interesting application because in Ephesus, where Paul had been, there was this gigantic temple called the Temple of Diana, the Temple of Artemis. It was actually 
a place where temple prostitutes lived. Part of their religion was a sexual licentiousness in the name of religion. And in that temple, there were 127 pillars. 127. And they were all inlaid with gold. Think about that for a moment. Try to visualize that. Artemis of Greek mythology, a temple with 127 uh, pillars inlaid with gold, and each one of them was given as a gift by a king. And Paul is saying, remember Artemis and think of yourself because 127 is nothing compared to thousands and millions of pillars who walk around with the golden thread of salvation shining in them and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ illuminating those all around them. They go everywhere. They travel everywhere. They talk everywhere. They live everywhere. They infiltrate the entire world. The pillars of God. The pillars of the church. They're shining. They're talking. They're living They're walking, they're running, they're working, and they're shining. And he says, you are the buttress. That's what the word literally means. The foundation, it literally means the buttress of the the truth. In other words, you and I stand for the truth. We live for the truth. We can quote the truth. We can read the truth. We can memorize it. We can actually pick it up in a book every day and read it and get the truth for life to anybody and everybody that we meet. So my dear friend, as a Christian, what's new? Well, (laughs) you're a pillar. You're a buttress of the truth. You're a living light. You're joining millions around the world this very day. You are to shine in the world in your lifestyle because you are are in God's family, and God's family is the most important family all over the world. So let's go back to 1 Timothy. He says, you are the foundation of the truth. And notice this statement. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is what? Is great. And that is so true. The mystery of God. Now, in the Bible, when the word mystery is used, it's not used in the sense that God wants to hide something from you that you'll never find. The word mystery is used in the Bible to represent something that's not seen, but God wants you to see. God wants to reveal to you through your faith, through your third eye. That's what somebody's called faith, your third eye, your spiritual eye. People who believe can see things that people who don't believe can't see. The world says, well, if I see it, I'll believe it. Well, you'll never get anywhere with God that way until you say, I believe it, then I'll see it. That's what Jesus taught. Believe first and then you'll see. Not like I'm going to show you everything about me and everything else about eternity and everything in the entire universe. Then I'm going to say, would you like to believe now? God's not operating that way. God doesn't work that way. God says, believe me, trust me, 
and I'm going to show you the things you need to know day by day by day. And by the way, he's not going to show it to you all at once either. He's going to show it to you every day of your life that you seek after him. It's not an automatic thing. It's not automatic pilot. God just doesn't show you everything every day. He shows you what you ask to be seen. He shows you in life as you depend upon him and trust him. And that's the key element, isn't it? To trust God, to believe God. Some people like to think they have faith, but they don't believe God or believe God's word or believe God's family. Well, that just won't work. You can't say, uh, Lord, I believe you're up there somewhere. I just, I really can't believe anything you say in the Bible. That'd be like my wife saying to me, honey, I love you, but I can't trust a word you say. You're just a liar. What do you think that'd do to our relationship? You've got to believe God, to trust God. You've got to take that step of faith and move toward Jesus. And when you do, you can be added to the family of God, the household of God, and begin to live for Christ. So then he, in this exciting letter, 1 Timothy, he begins to give some aspects of this great mystery about Christ. Now, here's my point. Here's really my my payload today, the reason I came. I want to quickly review with you the characteristics of Jesus and how they are the characteristics of the Christian. Hear me well now. Let me say it again. What I want to do today is bring to you from 1 Timothy the characteristics of Jesus because those characteristics are a Christian's characteristics. This is how you and I live the Christian life if we're going to live the Christian life at all because we can't live it without the power of Christ. Why would God say to you, if you claim to be a Christian, you must walk in the world as he does? Who can claim, I walk like Jesus? We are never Jesus, but we learn to walk like Christ because we're following and believing and trusting and receiving the Holy Spirit whom Christ sent to enable us to live the Christian life. That's the only way to live the Christian life. By the power of the Spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible tell us here about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let me ask you again, if you will, please to look on your life notes with me. In this case, I'm going to ask you to make a a little survey with me for a few minutes. And then we'll talk about these quickly, uh, individually. You'll notice at the bottom of your life notes, it says a new Christian, a New Testament Christian, is a person in whom Christ lives today. That's what a New Testament Christian is. And on the left side, you'll see quotes from 1 Timothy 3, which describes God in Christ. Christ, the Son of God. It describes Him. And then just across the way on the right side, you'll see that column that says Christian. So one column is describing whom on the left? Christ. Are you with me? <laughs> I'm thinking three of you are getting this. Uh, who's, who's on the... Thank you, Sally. <laughs> on the left side, who is it the description of? Christ. And on the right side, who does it describe? Oh, I'm so relieved. Thank you so much. Now we're on the same page. I can go on. So Christ is described and then the Christian. So let's see what it says about Christ. He appeared in a body. We call that the incarnation. But what about Christians? We 
are the body of Christ. Look at the next thing about Christ. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Look at the Christian. We're victors by the Holy Spirit. Look at the third thing about Jesus. He was seen by angels. Look at believers. Angels minister to believers. Look at the next thing. Christ was preached among the nations. Look at us. We reach among the nations. We reach out to the people in the nations. Look at what it says about Christ. He was believed on in the world. Look what it says about us. We are worldly believers. Now that may throw you for a little loop. We'll talk about it in a minute. We are worldly believers. Look at the last one. He was taken up in glory. Look what it says about us. We'll be taken too. And the only ones who will be left behind are those who heard the voice, heard the voice, heard the voice, calling them, calling them, calling them, but they always were too busy listening to other voices, talking to themselves about themselves, not willing to listen with the third, uh, the ear, spiritual ear or the third eye and see God and believe Him and trust Him so they could be shown other things. So the Bible tells us that we're like Christ. And we live the Christian life. So let's look at these for a moment. First of all, we're told that you and I are the body of Christ. You and I are members of the body of Christ. Look with me in Romans chapter 12. Go back to the left from where you are. Now we're going to use the Bible for a few minutes, so have it handy, please. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are both great verses about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, uh, Paul says, well, we'll actually start there at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. God has given you faith once you trust Him to live the Christian life. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, so in Christ we who are many form what? One body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, Christian, you are the body of Christ. The question on the table is, where on earth does God live? Well, he lives in his body. That's where he is right now. He's living in his body through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was God's son. When Christ was on the earth, where on earth did God live? In Jesus. When Jesus ascended, was no longer here in the body, then who took up the bodily life of Christ? You and I do. And you are a member of the body. Now, this body is worldwide. Millions of members of the body. You and I are part of this local body of Christ. You and I are individual members of the body of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning as I get a little older, I have to kind of take a few minutes and shake myself loose and find out if all the members are still working. Well, am I still? Am I all here? Yeah, I'm all here. Can I walk? Can I, can I do this? Can I do that? And I have to kind of check myself. You ever do that? Well, good for you. We're all in the same boat. And the other thing is, whether you're young or old or middle-aged, you want the members of your body to work. 
Something goes out in your back. One eye's not working right. You're Popeye all of a sudden for the day. Your tongue gets tangled. It's not functioning right. Maybe you have a rapid heartbeat. Maybe you can't breathe as clearly and as well as you used to. Maybe those limbs, your legs aren't as strong as they used to be. Or maybe there's an injury. You know how, you get my point, right? The members of your body are extremely important. And the members of the body of Christ, the church, are extremely important. Every member must be functioning. Every member of the body. And when Christ was on earth, He was the body. Now we're the body. Now notice what it says next. He was vindicated by the Spirit. We too are vindicated by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean that Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit? When Christ is on that cross, that bloody cross, they mocked, they jeered, they laughed. They'd already jammed that crown of thorns into his forehead. They'd already beaten him to an inch of his life in the flogging. They'd made him carry that cross. They'd nailed him to the cross. He was bleeding. He was bloody. He was bruised. He was beaten physically. And he gave up his spirit. They didn't kill him. They brutalized him. But he gave his life. The Bible says that he could have called 12 legions of angels if he had wanted to to rescue him from the cross. A legion is 6,000 soldiers. Six times 12. 72,000 angels could have come to his aid if he had simply wanted them to come. But he died on that cross. And then when he was resurrected on Sunday morning, he was vindicated. Vindicated. And in the Christian life, you and I are being vindicated every day. When we speak for Christ and live for Christ, the Holy Spirit vindicates us. And one day, when we actually meet Christ and we're separated from the unbelieving world in the new heaven and the new earth, you and I will be totally vindicated by God. And that will be the most victorious jumping up and shouting day you've ever had in your whole existence. When everything you experienced, whether good or bad, as a Christian, you'll say, it was worth it. It was worth every second of it. And you'll be vindicated. When Christ was tempted, His temptations were vindicated. When you're tempted and you follow Christ, you'll be vindicated. When you have troubles and you pray, you'll be vindicated. When you need the strength of other believers, you can go to a church family and ask prayer and pray with them and draw alongside with them and just talk with them. Be with them. You can have a friend who's a Christian. You're vindicated by your choice to follow Christ. He goes on to say he was seen by angels. Well, angels, we're told in Hebrews chapter 1, turn there. Hebrews chapter 1 in the New Testament. Turn to the right from where you were. Here's a very exciting passage. It's a mystery. We don't know exactly how it works. But in Hebrews chapter 1, we're told this great truth. It's about angels. Angels. Look at verse 14. Are you there yet? Hebrews 1.14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to save those, serve those who will inherit salvation? 
Now, what is an angel? An angel is an agent of God. They can be a supernatural agent. An angel that God created from heaven. Or the word angel also means a messenger. It could be a human messenger or a supernatural messenger. But the Bible tells us, for example, in the supernatural realm, that angels, this is what I'm getting from this passage and others, that we have an angel or angels, and God many times will give these angels a mission to minister to us because we need it. It's not frivolous. I guarantee you, if an angel has ever ministered to you, you needed it. You may not even know it happened. You may not even learn it happened till later. You may not see it happen. But something happened and God sent an angel to minister to you when you needed it. When you had to have it. Or something was going to happen to you that would be very, very critical and crucial. Possibly even destructive in your life. Or it might be a human messenger. Maybe somebody came up alongside you with a smile and a prayer. Maybe somebody sent you an email. Maybe somebody called you on the phone and you heard that voice you like to hear. You heard that soothing or that excited voice talking to you about Jesus, about your faith, or just coming alongside you as a friend. How are you doing? How's it going? How are you making it? Are you doing all right? Let's talk about what's happening with you. It can happen in a lot of ways. Messengers are sent. Angels are sent. That's how we live the Christian life many times. Notice what it says next. He was preached on... Among the nations, in the world, in the Bible, the world is described as made up of two groups of people. Are you with me on this now? Listen carefully. Taught it before. Two groups of people. The Jewish people and then the Gentile world, which is made up of every ethnos, every ethnic group, color, and language other than Jews. Jesus came to preach to the nations, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. First he got the message to the Jewish people, then to the Gentiles. And you and I, in our world today, reach out to the Jew and the Gentile. Right here in our area in South Florida, there is one of the very large population of Jewish people. Of course, they're outnumbered by Gentiles, by a huge number. But you and I get the message of Jesus out to the world. When I say the message of Jesus, I mean exactly what the Bible tells us about that message, that we bring that, that power of God, that message of Christ that's taught us uh, in the Bible and explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look there with me. Go back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You still with me now? You got your Bible open there? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the message of Christ that we're talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is really the heart and soul of the message of Christianity. And if you'll look there uh, with me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look down at verse, well, we'll start at verse 18. This is the message of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. 
By that he means those who are self-wise. They think they're wiser than they really are. They really think they're more intelligent than they really are. Somehow, this supposedly intelligent person has left out the most intelligent being in the entire universe, God himself. Somehow, this supposedly intelligent person in their human wisdom has left out the wisest person who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can they be wise? How can they be intelligent? So he goes on to say, whether, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, the world system? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That is the message of Christianity. Christ the Savior. The cross. The cross is the message. Christ came as a Savior. I've said it before. Let me say it once again. It is very fortunate for us that God sent His Son as a Savior rather than a politician. God sent His Son as a Savior rather than an entertainer, an athlete, a junior college professor, a university professor, a businessman who has millions in the bank and zilch in his head about God. God sent a Savior. What is the one thing that everybody needs? A Savior. They need forgiveness of their sins. They need to have a right relationship with God. Who can do that? LeBron? No, I don't think so. President Trump? No, I don't think so. Congress? No. Your boss? No. Your wife? No. Your husband? No. Your kids? No. Your grandparents? No. Your friends? No. You? Can you do it by yourself? No. You need a Savior. Every man and woman needs a Savior. The preaching of the cross is where that salvation happened. And this is our message. That God loves you so much that He gave everything on that cross. He poured Himself out. There was nothing left. He was all finished when He breathed that last breath. This is the good news. And this is what Christ is all about. And then the Bible says he was believed on in the world. Many believed in Christ. Many didn't. Same is true today. There are fewer believers than unbelievers. That's true. But on the other hand, the believers will receive every promise and power that Christ has brought because we've believed in him and received. Believers are receivers. Unbelievers are simply deceived. They don't receive anything God has for them. And you and I are worldly believers. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I've taught that I'm to be separate from the world. Here's what I mean. You were not meant to become a Christian and isolate yourself for the rest of your life from the people in the world around you. You were meant to infiltrate the world, not to isolate yourself from it, not to run from your faith, not to run from Christ and the Christian message, but you were meant to go into the world as a shining pillar, gold and silver, 
words of love and hope and strength coming from you, words of conviction and truth flowing from you, showing in you, you go out into the world and you infiltrate it wherever you work, live, or play. This is what I mean, a worldly believer. Let's see, what does it say? For God so hated the world. No, for God so loved the world. That's what we do. And then finally it says he was taken up in glory. What is that referring to? The ascension of Christ. He ascended to heaven. He was a resurrected Savior. And he was ascended into heaven. He was taken up in heaven. Christ is not on the earth today. Going back to my former question then, where on earth does God live? In his body. You and I are members of that body. Christ lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the Bible tells us he was taken up. What a sight that must have been. Wow. I'm just flabbergasted by these stories in the Bible, these accounts in the Bible. He's taken up. But then I read in 1 Thessalonians that one day I'm going to be doing my thing if I'm still alive on earth when the rapture happens and I'm going to be taken up. I'm going to be taken up. Wow. I'm going to be taken up as opposed to down. God's going to be my upper taker, not my undertaker. I'm going to be taken up. I'm going to go up. This is the exciting message of the Christian. That when the time comes, either we'll die and our body will go into the grave, but our spirit will go with the Lord. Or if you and I are alive when that unbelievable, sensational event happens, when the rapture takes place, the seizing away of all believers will be taken up. Taken up. Wow, what a story. I don't even... I just feel so helpless to even try to describe it. All I can say is, taken up, man. That's going to be fantastic. Taken up. Wow. Taken up. You're going to meet Jesus. Believers of all ages. There's going to be a big holy party. We're going to enjoy ourselves for eternity. We're going to have a new life, a new body, a new hope. The Lord's going to be there. We're going to be there with the Lord. And we'll look back and say, I'm so glad I became a Christian. Nobody ever regrets becoming a Christian. Nobody. But there will be millions who regret that they did not become a Christian. It's part of our role to help people escape their regrets by trusting Christ, by telling them about the Lord. So my dear friend, I say to you, You want to be a Christian and live the Christian lifestyle like Paul said to Timothy? I'm going to tell you how to tell the people to live the Christian life in the church. Be a TNT Christian. A TNT Christian. Have the explosive power of the Lord. Now I'm going to close my message with this illustration. A little bit of how one time I felt power like I'd never felt before. But it was not spiritual. When I was in the army... In Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, one day we'd been trained to use a hand grenade in class. Then we went out to the range, and they had bunkers there. And we were told how to arm this hand grenade and how to release the lever on it in order to throw it. And then as soon as we threw it, we could throw it from a lying down prone position, or we could throw it from a kneeling position, or we could throw it from a 
standing position like an NFL quarterback or a pitcher, and we could throw it way down as far as we could and then duck behind this foundation wall. So we went out that day. We had a hand grenade. My turn came. I took it in my hand. I got it, took hold of it, and I did just what I was taught. I released that thing. I flung it as far as I could. I ducked down, and when I heard and felt that explosion, I was just... My teeth were chattering. My hair stood up. I didn't have much that time in the Army. They cut it all off. But it stood up anyway. And I was thinking to myself, man, if that hand grenade had hit somebody or some group, they'd be dead. That's what a hand grenade does. It's explosive power. That's what a Christian has. Explosive power to live the Christian life. And it takes power to live for Christ today. It takes all the power that you can call upon by faith. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Do you really believe me that you need power? Man, you've got to have the power of God. Jesus provides that power. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we can live the Christian life like Jesus taught us and showed us. Lord, help us to have the power in Christ to live as a worldly Christian as an ambassador in the world for Christ to help people know the love of God. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Help us to be a TNT church and a TNT Christian. Amen and amen.